I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi everyone, Ioni and Olivia here and we're so excited to be presenting the second series of our limited podcast exploring modern identity. Made in collaboration with Monkey, the skin you're in explores what it means to be alive today and the biggest issues affecting our generation. From online activism, marginalised people in the workplace and representation of bodies, we want to know where the conversations are at and what we can do to move them forward. We're talking to the people at the forefront of these issues enacting change through their work and lives. So let's get it started. Episode two, I am buzzing and this is a conversation where the topic is very close to my heart as someone that has experienced, I don't even know how to describe it, workplace problems. (laughs) I think workplace discrimination as well. Discrimination, yeah. It just feels like even after having this conversation and saying that, it feels like such a strong word, even though it's the truth. Yeah. But our guest for today is the incredible Sonia Barlow, who's the founder of the LMF Network. So the LMF Network looks to mentor people mentor them to I suppose I know this word is so overused but like empower them in their workplaces right mm-hmm. on their careers as well yeah their workplaces and their careers and I really anyway well no I was about to say something but spoiler we'll get into it so Sonia is also a diversity and intersectionality coach for corporate businesses a TEDx speaker and a future shaper she also has a book coming out soon so a very impressive woman yeah, very, very impressive intro. I, I really love this podcast because obviously for this whole series, we've been talking about activism and, you know, what we can do to like raise people's voices and like raise the voices of marginalized people, etc. And I think that when you think about doing that in a workplace, you don't see it as activism, like you see it mm. as like HR mm. or like union. Obviously, like unions are activism, but it, I think that you, uh, well, uh, me, maybe I don't want to be like you. No, I agree. <laughs> it feels like stuffy and corporate when really it's yeah. like essential. Yeah, and it's still activism. It's just more formal and more structured and potentially, for that reason, more productive or, or safer in some ways. And especially how like me and you talk like on our podcast and all the time personally about like reimagining radical workplaces or mm-hmm. radical ways of existence and the issue is obviously you can be as radical or as whatever as you want in your personal life but to then apply that to a corporate workplace where there is so much other like legislation is the wrong word but you know what I mean like red tape I suppose yeah can feel like a really daunting prospect but it's not 
hopefully it's not as hard as it seems when Sonia is obviously someone that's making real change in that way. So let's have a listen to her interview. Here we go. Hi, Sonia. Hi. Hi, Sonia. How are you? Very well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. So happy to have you on. For any of our audience that may not be familiar with your amazing work, do you want to give us a little brief introduction? Definitely. I have my pitch ready. (laughs) (laughs) Award-winning entrepreneur, founder of Social Enterprise and Not-for-Profit, LMF Network. Our mission fundamentally is to reduce inequalities and focus on enabling inclusive cultures from all the way from kind of your education level all the way to systemic changes within businesses we've just launched the largest mentoring program in the UK which is amazing so we have over 600 people on a six-month career acceleration program outside of that I run a diversity and business consultancy was voted as Marie Claire's future shaper of 2020 I'm currently writing a book titled unprepared to entrepreneur And more importantly, more than anything, I'm a big social activist and kind of justice fighter, if that's a term. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. 100%. I'm interested in how you came to found the LMF Network and what that kind of journey was like for you. Yeah, thank you so much for asking. So if if I'm really honest about this, I graduated in 2015 and fell into the world of tech. And I want to say I fell in for anyone listening. I took the first role that came because I thought I was going to be poor otherwise, right? So I've come up with a degree. Someone's offered me a role. I'm like, yeah, cool. I will drive for an hour and 45 minutes every day to work because I am scared that I'm not going to get another job. And I walked into this amazing company, like big, you know, in the analytics and data industry. And I found myself feeling like an imposter. But the type of imposter I became was the one that locks off everything else and just focuses on work. So in 2015, I deleted all my social media. I was like, I don't need social media. I just have a job. And I just worked and worked and worked. And I got to about 2018 and it was around January. So everyone was setting New Year's resolutions. And I looked at myself and I was like, I don't really know who I am. And I have no identity. And I was kind of just a corporate worker. Like, who who am I? I wasn't like that, right? I'm quite energetic. I have a lot of energy. And I just didn't have a sense of identity. And nor did I really have career-based friends. And I think that's really important to focus on. I didn't have any people that I could just talk to about career and work and confidence and like, how do I progress up? So I went around to a few membership clubs and a few networking events with one of my friends from university. And I just found all of them to be the same or similar. I'm a a fresh grad, if that makes sense. I don't have £2,000 for a networking opportunity, which is what one club actually asked me for. So out of pure passion and, and or anger turned into passion, I think I went through a roller coaster of like loneliness, depression that turned into anger, frustration, then it turned into passion. I reactivated my LinkedIn. I made a group on LinkedIn. I was like, yep, this is the women's empowerment group, which I think first it was called. And I started sharing resources around kind of business and career and confidence and progression. And I got super excited. And I only had like 100 LinkedIn connections, right? So I got super excited and I had our first brunch event. I was like, well, do you know what? I love avocados. You must love avocados. Like that's just going to bring us all together. (laughs) (laughs) I got to our first brunch event uh, and I thought 12 people were going to show up. 45 minutes later, the waitress asked for the table back and for my check because no one attended. Oh, no. It was just me by myself in tears. And to answer your question, what I realized from that moment was the next couple of brunches no one also attended but what I realized was that community conversation aspect was was very much a need so 
Jan 2019, I was in between roles and I thought, what's the worst can happen if we just start doing stuff? So I started doing things like meetings and brunches and events and workshops. And then it got to Jan 2020. And by this point, one, our Instagram was hacked. So we had to start from scratch. And two, I had lost my job. So I was like, okay, well, I might just give it a go. Um, so in 2020, we fundamentally expanded. We're based in London. We have a, a chapter in Toronto. We launched our first university society. We are 100% voluntary led. We upskilled over 7,000 people by designing and delivering over 50 workshops ourselves, worked with over 100 partners, designed and delivered the largest mentoring program, as I discussed, all on a shoestring budget slash volunteer slash me self-funding it because I'm so passionate about reducing those inequalities and making sure that we educate um, especially women or those who identify as communities that are often marginalized uh, and kind of enabling them to be their best selves and to show up as their true self and I think that's really important for me is because whilst I was working in corporate I never showed up as my true self Mm. and I think that's why I lost a lot of me and I also lost a lot of identity yeah It feels like the world of work is something that we're kind of talking about more than ever because it's changed so rapidly for so many people in the last year from obviously going from like office-based environments to work from home and also, you know, like between all of the different social issues that have arised over the past year, we're basically talking about inequality in the workplace lots more, but a lot of companies have been called out or people have erred on the side of caution when taking them seriously when they're talking about inclusion and building non-toxic work environments because it can so often be tokenistic so where do you kind of stand in all of that and how do you change it from the position of being the marginalized person if that makes sense I have to say that now that I don't work for a corporate and I run my own business I've realized exactly what I don't want to build so a couple of weeks ago I wrote an article on LinkedIn called bad vibes don't make healthy lives and it was a no to my ex-managers, colleagues and toxic friends. Basically working in corporate and in a in a in a somewhat hierarchical structure reminded me that the earlier on you are in your career, with an intersectional lens of being a woman and then being a brown woman, especially in industries that don't necessarily cater for you, it's super difficult to make a change and to raise your voice and share an opinion, knowing that you can freely do so. So the point I'm trying to make is when I worked in corporate, it was a great foundational test bed. I learned a lot. I gained so much experience that I can only, you know, thank, thank companies for. But I also faced tons of discrimination um, around my race, my ethnicity, my accent, my experience, my independence, even my social media independence and the community group I was running. So I once had an employer um, message me saying, we don't want you to post during the work hours about the network group that you run and I was like well people send whatsapp messages during work hours during my lunchtime you're not necessarily paying me and it's a not-for-profit where I'm talking about social justice so that made no sense to me so to answer your question I am able to create a lot more change and challenge the system by running my own business or by being an independent freelancer slash contractor slash homebody because I'm not necessarily answerable to anyone And so for me, that's worked out to be really impactful. You know, the International Women's Day theme this year is choose to challenge. I mean, that genuinely represents me because I've challenged the system internally to the point where people were like, well, actually, you're you're too challenging. So we're going to let you go. But when did I challenge? I challenged 
because conversation around mental health weren't happening because I was being discriminated based on my experience because someone told me that I was faking having a migraine because I looked okay. Others told me that I wasn't going to progress based on X, Y, Z. And now being outside of it and being able to run my own consultancy, I hear all the voices, right? My community, I hear I hear the community. I work with companies and hear their struggles. And I work with the school system to learn that, you know, the education system has been the most impacted. So the future of work is about having that full circular approach. It's about understanding everyone's problems and enabling them to be solved through an intersectional, through an educational, through a, through a skills bridging gap and perspective. And the future of work does not look like merits or brownie points because you've increased your DNI numbers by one or two percent. It looks like what are you doing to make sure your company, your lifestyle, your culture is sustainable? It's value led. It's long term. It's it's fluid. And I think that is really important. The fr- future of work is fluid. It has to be. We have proven that we can remote work. We have proven that we can we can celebrate birthdays remotely, that we can talk to each other remotely, that we can build friends remotely why are we going to go back into the office five days a week? Because I absolutely am not. (laughs) Yeah, I'd honestly be happy if I never had to walk into an office again, if I'm honest. (laughs) Something that me and Olivia talk about a lot on the podcast is kind of trying to make these social changes from the bottom up, but then the real problem being that the people in power are very hesitant to give it up or to give it up to the amount required to actually push for real change and I'm just interested in your thoughts on that I suppose yeah I don't even know where to begin so let me give you real life examples I launched my diversity and business consultancy in Jan 2020 because I knew I had the knowledge the lived experience and and the consultancy experience behind me to lead this business model amazing the first nine months of 2020, regardless of companies shouting and screaming and social media posting that they had, that they pledged towards diversity inclusion, no one paid me a single penny, because the same companies were then saying, we don't have the money for your resources, we don't have the money for your time, can you come and work with us for brand exposure and awareness? And if I'm being honest, some of them I did. Again, you you lose hope, it was the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, you know, everyone was feeling a certain way. But to answer your question, there is there is a clear fine line between companies who are doing it for for the clout and companies who are doing it because they care there's a real opportunity and what i mean by that is companies who care and really want to make a significant difference will have budgets that they can invest will focus on dni efforts outside of just hr will make sure that their interview processes are inclusive and accessible will reach out to university students that are really struggling during this time and say hey you are talented we've got opportunities come and work for us, come and enjoy the experience, let us help you. What they're doing is they are going to the experienced DNI professionals who don't have an intersectional lens. They are talking to companies and consultancies that don't necessarily make sense. And more times than not, exactly to your point is there's a lot of excuses, right? The FTSE 100, as we learned the other day, does not have a single black senior leader. In academia, less than 11% of those who are professionals or, sorry, senior professors identify as non-white. In the tech industry, less than 5% of senior stakeholders identify as non-white. So you're telling me that these stats haven't changed or can't change. And I'm telling you that I have 
as a solo person with a great team, found 600 people that are amazing and talented and ambitious and diverse and ready to take their next step in your career. If I can do that without budgets, then you have no excuse with budgets. And my mm. problem is that companies are not prioritizing people. They are prioritizing processes and policies. If you want to make significant change, then you throw out your old policy and you make a whole new culture playbook and you tell your people that's what you're going to live with. That's what you're going to do. That's what you're going to believe. Otherwise, there's no space for you. I don't know why companies aren't doing that. Well, yeah, it's a big question, isn't it? Because they don't want to shift. You have to come to that conclusion, don't you, that people don't want to absolve the power and the money that they have in not taking action. And do you think, Sonia, when when it was all going off, say like when companies are public online, kind of what's that process like behind the scenes? Is it still just no, like no accountability taken? So I'll give you a really simple example. International Women's Day is coming up. As a company, you've pledged that you want to reduce the gender pay gap and gender parity. You're asking women who are amazing and ambitious to come and sit on your panels and to lead workshops, and yet you can't pay them a single penny. So you're asking for extra additional unpaid labor. And then, in contrast, telling us that you are going to bridge the the pay gap that exists. And my point is there is, when I have these conversations, I don't like to point just fingers at companies. I like to point them at like individuals and say what are you doing what are, what are you doing to either change or to, to challenge if you are consuming brands who are unsustainable fast fashion brands who aren't paying their people if you're working for companies who you evidently know that the gaps exist in terms of pay in terms of progression in terms of discrimination you're still supporting them then we need to question what that looks and feels like we need to question us as consumers and what we are doing posting a black square uh you know resharing a, a post about the protests that are happening regardless of where they are in the world that's not significant change investing in small social groups social enterprises charities communities that are enabling change that makes a significant difference just last week someone sent me an application to sign up to be a corporate charity partner I was so excited I was like yes amazing this is what we can do LMF will get the exposure do you know what the criteria was in order to sign up as a charity partner or sorry to put your application in as a charity you need a minimum of 100 100 grand who has a grand as a charity yeah 100 grand god it's a weird thing when it comes to work as well I think so I was talking I was actually talking to my partner about this on the weekend I don't know if either of you who saw the like controversy around the reply all podcast basically they've recently been like what's the word I don't want to say cancel because not cancel but like called out for perpetuating like inequality in the workplace because they were anti-unionization that's how you say that word right they're anti-unionization but at the same time they're doing a podcast series about Bon Appetit and how that was a really toxic workplace but I was kind of saying this to my partner like talking about toxic work situations is so difficult because they do leave you like so deeply scarred and also quite shameful like what you were saying about chronic migraine Sonia and also with like my chronic illness often when you're treated badly in a workplace you're led to believe that's because of you and not because of the other person so how do you think we kind of like reduce that stigma like that working people feel I think just by having this conversation it's really important if you are going through something, you need to speak about it. Yeah. Regardless of who you're conversing to, you need to talk about it. I did not talk about it. 
The second thing is, if I was to go back in time, I would not sign an NDA. Mm. If I'm being really honest with you, I felt like I didn't understand the system. The system got the better of me. I didn't want to lose up prospects. And so I was forced to sign an NDA in a situation that I didn't quite understand under pressure. If I hadn't, I'd be able to relay back to the experiences that I've had and go and inform others and educate them and, and, you know, kind of share mistakes and learning. And the third is we must we must take a stand. So I always say there's three things here. Show up, speak up, stand up, right? So my point being is the showing up is us just showing up to the conversation, us listening, us wanting to actually listen and hear and take it in. Not through someone else's lens, not through our own lens, but through the through the actual narration, through the actual sight of who is saying it and who is going through it. The second is speak up. How can we use our power, our social power, our privilege to speak up on someone else's behalf that may not have the the resources or the confidence. And the, and the last is to stand up. And this is what goes back to that point of consumerism. It's if we know companies are doing wrong, then why are we still associating with them? Why are we still leaning on them? Why are we still enabling them to carry on? This is not about council culture. This is about accountability culture. And that's the last thing. The last thing to your answer to your question is we need to make companies accountable. We need to make processes accountable. You've told me you're going to increase this you know, demographic by 10% in five years. I want to see it. Otherwise, here's a fine. Here's an ex- additional tax. Here's something you're not going to get. Here's a punishment. Yeah. Right. The problem isn't yeah. punished. And so it's kind of okay. A great example being based on the pandemic and what's happened they're now saying that they're not going to release a gender, gen, a gender pay gap reports. It's like, we need that. Yeah. Especially if these are the same companies that are then therefore pledging these changes and saying that they're going to make a significant change. You know, the point I'm trying to make with everything is, what are you as an individual doing to challenge, to change, to, to care about what's happening? What are we doing? At the beginning of the pandemic, I probably didn't do enough. Now I'm learning that even me as a small singular person and, you know, this massive big world can make a difference and has a voice. So, so shall I not, shall I not speak up and maybe do it on someone else's behalf? Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And kind of on that, Sonia, I think a lot of what happened during, well, a lot of what always happens with companies when they're called out, but especially when there's like a mass calling out of accountability in terms of like diversity and inclusion is I think a lot of the times internally, like the weight of that progress internally falls on like a marginalized body to do it. I kind of would like to know, like, what advice do you have if you're expected as a marginalized person to create change in a business and also like what people can do to be good allies in that process? Yeah, such a great question. And I have to agree with you, a lot of the time, the changing of the structure, the system, the policies comes down to the person who is living it and breathing it every day. So as you can rightfully imagine, I run a very successful diversity inclusion consultancy. What does that mean? That means at least four times a week, I am having to live through and talk through my own traumas to educate someone else. Mm. Actually, that's not fair. And that requires a lot of therapy afterwards, which I'm not getting at the moment, but at some point I probably will, because it's painful living through your own experiences all the time, reminding yourself that someone had the audacity to speak to you like this, to make you feel insecure, to tell you that you're not good enough. So, you know, echoing from that point, the role of change 
cannot be left to the person who is feeling the problem. It's for everyone to get involved. And so I loved the point that you just made on what can allies do? Allies can use their social power and their privilege to open doors, to speak up for those who aren't necessarily able to, to direct the conversations in a way that can create sustainable change. Small steps that you can do now is you can pilot new initiatives and see how they work. You can sponsor it with a budget or with investment in time. You can build and work with communities to make sure that you are diversifying your mindset, your people, your experience. And you can go and educate yourself. What I absolutely dislike is that the education, just like the social justice and change, comes back down to these marginalized communities. Whereas we have Google on our hands and everything is online. Mm right? Go and learn, go and educate yourselves, go into YouTube and watch a few videos and then come to me when you have questions. But don't come to me or anyone or, uh, you know, anyone who feels like they are, they are going through or they are living the problem every day. Don't go to them and expect them to educate you because that's not fair. Yeah, totally. I just thought for a, a nice rounding off question, because I've recently started mentoring as well. And I find that it's obviously such like an enriching experience, especially I feel during this period and during the pandemic when you're not really having as many like on the fly conversations or conversations with strangers or near strangers just like understand about other people's experiences so I'm interested in the like most important thing that you've learned through being a mentor what have I learned I've learned so much that's the thing there is a stigma when it comes to mentoring as well Mm -hmm. which we need to break so a great example being the mentoring program that we ran we had over 800 applications and I I went through each one with one of our interns, who's amazing, line by line to match people in a blind process. We didn't use their demographics. We didn't use their names. We don't know their age, their identity. We just knew the answers they give. So one scenario was that we matched a mentor who was younger than her mentee. Mm. And this person came back saying, well, you know, our mentee is older than us, more experienced. We don't know what we can give. So we want a new change. And I went back saying, look, it was blind for that reason because we don't want biases to come into it. Yeah. And that stigma around what has to be older than you, more experienced, that doesn't make any sense. So to answer your question now, thinking about it, what I've learned from mentoring, from being a mentor and from being mentored is regardless of your job role, you are supporting one another. And reverse mentoring has such benefits that you are teaching me about an area or, or a way of life or a point of view that I, that I don't know, that I couldn't have known. And so am I. So age and gender and identity shouldn't come into it. It should never come into it. And yet it does. When we think mentors, we automatically do think women. And I know this because a lot of the boys around me or the men around me, I've said, do you want to be a mentee? And they're like, no, do you know what? We really don't. We just want an internship, but we don't want that mentee-mentor relationship. And it needs to be, it's very, in its approach, like it's not intersectional. It's not, it's, it's very feminine. It's very skewed. And so what I've learned from mentoring, it definitely is a two-way process. But one, a lot of a lot of men are scared to, to mentor, especially young females because of Me Too and so forth. Secondly, a lot of young professionals who identify as male are hesitant to get a mentor-mentee because they think it doesn't serve their purpose and it's quite like a girly thing to do, quote unquote. And lastly, there's stigma around the fact that mentoring needs to be a mentor is someone who's older and more experienced and a mentee needs to be someone who's junior. And so with our mentoring program, as with everything we do, we're throwing all of those kind of social stereotypes out the door and saying the most beautiful thing about mentoring is not knowing who's coming up, what they have to offer, 
what you're going to learn from them and going in with such an open mind that you're going to leave with a different point of view and a different experience. Mm-hmm. That I think is the most important thing of mentoring is you don't know what you're going to get. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah, that was great. And I just fully want to echo like what we were saying at the beginning about understanding what activism look like looks like in a more formal corporate setting because I think one thing that people become victim of usually because they've been pushed in that direction but maybe we push ourselves in it is withdrawing ourselves like being made to withdraw from these spaces or choosing to withdraw from them but ultimately like the impact of that on our like well-being and certainly on our like careers and career progression is it isn't always the best option to not be in those environments at least not absolutely and certainly not if we didn't choose it yeah and I think it's really important to think about how what like a positive workspace looks for you beyond the parameters of your own aspirations like Mm -hmm. because when we're thinking of careers we always think I want to be here in one year two year three year four year five year and it's always not arbitrary but you never think about your own well-being within that or like how that makes you feel or whether it's a good or a bad space for you actually to be beyond being like well this is where I wanted to be do you know what I mean yeah yeah I know you've said that before about like setting yourself targets because you ultimately sometimes you you're filling them without enjoying them. Mm. Like you almost forget. I think it's really easy when you, you you're approaching deadlines, especially like creative ones, where you you're kind of capitalism just infiltrates that space, doesn't it? Even in right. like the depths of your mind and your well being, is that like you're like I have to meet this deadline, and then you either are making yourself not enjoy it because of the pressure, or you keep going because of the pressure. When yeah, just like in actuality, being able to be nurturing and honest about these workplaces and obviously like a huge part of that is having voices like Sonia present to be like that reminder that like capitalism can't just do what it wants basically yeah exactly and I think 
this is a good first step and I hope it's a conversation that can keep going further because I do think it's like under talked about in a lot of ways but yeah well thanks for talking Ioni and thanks again to Sonia and thank you to you Olivia and thank you to all of the listeners thank you to Monkey for being excellent series partners on this thank you to Gina, Gina, Carlin, Charlotte, Camille I think that's everyone and Alfie for our theme music we will see you on Monday and then we'll see you next week bye Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.